Good morning. All right, so I'm going to start off this morning. I'm going to share a story. A few years ago, the old company that I used to work for had, for the first time, like a really big sales meeting. I mean, for the first time in the company, we had like 180 to 200 people all congregating in one place, having this big sales meeting. And uh, the gist of the meeting was to sort of just gather support and everybody to get encouraged. And, and it, was a, it was also a time to, uh, to recognize people. So one by one, they were calling salespeople on stage saying, this is what this person has done. And then this is what this sales team has done. And look what this marketing group has done right here. And I remember as I was sitting there during the meeting, every time they, they introduced somebody, I would get angry. And I would get like a little bit more angry. And a little bit more angry. And as the day was going on, I kept getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I could feel the anger burning inside of me because I was like, why won't anybody recognize me and what I have done? See, I was working in sales training. I was the only corporate trainer on staff. So I had done all this work by myself and I wanted somebody to recognize me. So on the one hand, I got like this anger going on inside. On the other hand, I have a little bit of fear. Because as they're introducing all these different groups, they're talking about, you know, we want to show you guys the latest that they're doing in marketing. And this is the latest thing that the customer service team is doing right now. And I had nothing. So a part of me was like fearful that I didn't have anything going on. So on the one hand, I wanted recognition and I was getting angry. On the other hand, I was fearful because I had no new ideas. And there was nothing new going on. You see, it's funny how There's something in each of us that wants recognition. You know, it's why reality shows are so popular. That's why there's so many people who just want to be famous, because they want someone to recognize them and tell them how good they are and to praise them and to worship them. You know, the funny thing is God has ways of keeping us humble. And one of the ways he does that is through marriage. And he does it through a spouse. So last week, I'm sitting there, I'm kneeling next to my bed with my daughter, who's eight months, right? And she's growing very quickly. And those of you who have children, you know. And there she is, and she's growing. My wife is like, babe, look at her. Like, her upper body is almost as big as your head. And I was like, like, my head isn't that big. So my wife keeps me very, very humble whenever I start to get very full of myself. But you know what? There's something in us where we say wanting recognition, it comes very natural to us. There's something in each of us that wants to be recognized, that we want to get praise on us. And it's a result of our sin that becomes focused on us. Last week, we walked through, we looked at the book of Judges, and we were introduced to the character of Gideon. And we were introduced to Gideon. We saw how Gideon, where he saw himself and his faith was lacking, and God was providing and allowing him to have faith in him to where he wanted him to be. That's where he's talking about filling the gap. And this week, we're going to take a look at Gideon again, but we are going to see him facing another challenge. This is what I want you to see today, is that victory from God comes when we are weak. Victory from God comes when we are 
week. And what I want us to be able to walk away with today is how do we triumph in the midst of our weakness? How do we triumph in the midst of our weakness? You guys, before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you and to dig into your word, Lord. We pray that you would just open our eyes and open our hearts to hear your word today, Lord, and to know that you are speaking to each of us individually today, Lord. Help us to see and to recognize what it is that you want us to see, Father. And we thank you and we praise you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are walking through the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at Judges 7 today in your Bibles. Judges 7, we also have it up on the screen, verses 1 through 25. Now, we're going to be walking through, and I want to take just, just pieces at a time instead of trying to, as they say, eat the whole elephant and do the whole thing at one time. So I want to start off just by looking at verses 1 through 8. So Judges 7, 1 through 8, and it says this. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his, own, to his home. So the people took their provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. As we saw last week, when we were introduced to Gideon. For those of you who don't know, Gideon is the epitome of weakness. He's from Israel. Israel is helpless. He has no status in society. He's afraid of the townspeople because he tears down one of these false god altars. So he's afraid of them coming after him. He's also afraid of the Midianites who are now encamped waiting to go to war with Israel. Gideon is not your conventional hero. Yet this is the guy that is being called to lead Israel. He's not what we look at today as a hero. You know what we like? We like Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. That's a hero. Somebody who's tough. Somebody who can defeat all enemies. That is who we look at as a hero. And yet God specifically chooses Gideon to be the one that is going to lead them. But not only that, Israel is preparing for war. They've got 32,000 men against over 100,000 men. And what God is saying is, there are still too many. Why? Because he knows that the people will say, my own hand has saved me, and people will boast of their own efforts. So God gives Gideon two ways. He says, here's the first way, right here. Anybody who's scared, go home. 
The 22,000 were like, I'll catch you next week. I'm going home. 22,000 left. And now they're down to 10,000. When you go back to Scripture, when you go back to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, one of the things it says specifically there is, if there's any man who is fearful or faint-hearted, let them go back to their home, lest they make the hearts of his fellows melt like his own. Timidity infects other people. If you don't ask me, ask the Iraqi army. You saw how fast they ran, right? Timidity infects. So even in the word, it says, if somebody's scared, let them go. 22,000 men leave. And what God says is, there's still too many. So here's the second test. Take them down in the water. Anybody who laps like a dog, I would do it, but it's very embarrassing. Anybody who laps like a dog stays. Anybody who kneels down to drink, they can go back to their tent. 9,700 knelt down to drink. And now there's left 300. You know the interesting thing in this right here? Gideon never complained. I mean, think about it. 32,000 versus over 100,000 already. The, the, the odds are stacked against you. And now he's had all these men taken away and he's left with 300. Yet he never complained. He was obedient to what God was doing and what God was calling him to do is to continue to lead them. What would we do if we were in his shoes? I know personally, for one, is I would complain. I'd be saying, God, what the heck are you doing? Have you ever had that before where you're calling on God? And you're saying, Lord, help me. And it looks like as I'm going along that the odds are getting stacked more and more against me. Has that ever happened in your life? Well, it doesn't make sense. You understand is when we have any of our own resources, we will always try to take credit. Whenever there's a part of us that can do it, we will always try and take credit. I shared this story before with you guys. So um, a couple careers ago, my family can attest, I've had a lot of different careers in my life. Well, a couple careers ago, I had the, uh, the pleasure of getting into like acting. And I had shared with you guys before, I said that a friend of mine, who was also doing it, had booked a commercial with Campbell's Soup, Campbell's Chunky Soup. And uh, he booked this commercial with $15,000 that he got for doing this commercial. And then every time the commercial showed on TV, he got a check. Right? So you can imagine. Like, every time I see the commercial on TV, I'm like, I hope he chokes on a potato. <laughs> I'm like, I am, so, I am so angry right now. I know, it's very Christian, right? <laughs> Let's just say I was in a different place in my life at that time, right? And I was like, I am so angry. You know, I was, I was saying to God, I was angry at God. I was like, I don't get it. I'm the one that's following you. I'm the one that's on the path that you've called me on. And yet, this guy is being blessed with $15,000 and he's doing commercials. God, I'm not getting anything. You see, I was operating from a standpoint of fear because I needed to pay my bills. And I was operating from a standpoint of fear. So you can imagine my anger at God at that moment. But here's the other thing, too. Is I had made a deal with God. And you know how those work out, right? My deal with God was, God, if you make me famous, I promise I will tell people about Jesus. I mean, what is wrong with this deal? But God understood. He understood that it was about me. Ultimately, I wanted to get glory for myself. I wanted it to be about 
I needed to be weak. And God was putting me in a position where I couldn't rely on myself. You see, we put more confidence in things and ourselves than we do God. And what God has to do sometimes is bring us to a point where we are weak, where we can only cry out to him. The first step that God does is he removes us. He removes us because if there's any chance that we do it on our own, we will take the glory. We will boast of our own work. So what God has to do is he removes us so that we can only point back to him. It's not about our natural strength. It's not about ability. It's about God's strength. What we're called to do is to be humble and obedient to where he is and what he's calling us to do. Gideon shows faith in God even though God has put him in this position and has seriously reduced his numbers. Gideon is the weakest man from the very weakest tribe of Israel, but he's doing it so that Israel has no opportunity to boast. And now, with these odds, they can only glorify him. You see, the first truth today is this. True victory comes when boasting is removed. And there's a humility and obedience to him. True victory comes when boasting is removed and there's a humility and obedience to him. A true victor will not boast. But a true victor operates from a standpoint of weakness and is humble and is obedient. What do you do when you're in this position? What do you do when you're faced with something that seems stronger or bigger than you? Do we operate from a position of weakness? You see, the other question that we ask ourselves too is, well then how do I know that God is there? Let's read the next part of the scripture. Verse 9. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. What the Lord tells Gideon is, I want you to go down to the camp. But if you are afraid, I want you to go down, because he wants him to hear something. And what we see right here are two things. Number one, we see God's providence and control. You see, we think it's a coincidence that as he goes down near the camp, he hears these two men talking. God knows specifically he wants him to go down there to hear these words right now. And what he hears is one man telling another man his dream. What he's saying is, I had a dream that a cake of barley bread fell into the camp and turned over the tent. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, when you look at barley, barley is one of the cheapest grains back then. And only poor people ate it. So the barley bread represents Israel. And then coming into the camp, the tent 
represented the Midianites and had turned over the tent. He says, well, this is none other than Gideon, the son of Joash, that's coming in to defeat the Midianites. So we see God's providence and God's control that he comes out at that very moment to hear that dream. But the other thing that we see is God's grace and his care. He knows that Gideon is afraid. He knows that Gideon is scared. And he goes down there and he has him hear this so it encourages him. Because what does Gideon do? He hears these words and he begins worshiping God. He understands that what God has said and what God has promised is true. You know what Gideon does? He remembers God. He remembers who he is and how he's acting. You see, that's the second truth that we see right here. God's grace reassures us. God's grace encourages us, especially when we need it most. Often in our lives, we doubt and we forget God. Christianity is wonderful on Sundays when your life is going well. And then as soon as we begin to struggle, we push it aside, put it on hold until we can get our life fixed back together, and then we may start going back again. And what we see here is, no, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our trials, that God encourages us and gives us assurance. And he does it through his word. He does it through other believers. He does it through the Holy Spirit. And he does it through our circumstances. Servants of God are not always bold and brash. A true victor needs to be assured. A true victor needs to be assured. Number one, true victory comes when boasting is removed and we operate from humility and obedience. And number two, God's grace reassures and encourages us when we need it most. And now, we can take action. Verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars and torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued them, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. So what Gideon says is, okay, here's the plan. We got 300 men, and we're going to divide it into three separate groups of 100. I want you to take trumpets. I want you to take empty jars. And when I give you these instructions, you're going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Now, how many of you among us today are ready to go to war with that plan right there? Trumpets, jars, and torches. Can I get any volunteers? Are you like the 22,000 when you go back to camp? Interesting instructions reminds us of when you look at the battle of Jericho with Joshua and they surrounded the city and walked around seven times and blew the trumpets and shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Very interesting instructions given to Gideon. He doesn't complain. He follows through. So they go down in the middle of the watch. Why the middle of the watch? Because the army at this point is asleep and they surround them. And then they make these noises. What's going to happen? It's going to appear and sound a lot larger than they really are. So they go down. They blow the trumpets. They smash the jars. And they cry out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the men wake up. And now they're scrambling. You can imagine the chaos going on in the camp right now. And it says, The Lord set every man's sword against himself. They began killing themselves in the midst of all this chaos right here. And then they begin running. And then he calls out to the other to Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh, all of Israel, to go and to pursue them. And he calls out for Ephraim to come down and to pursue them also. And they capture the two princes, Orb and Zeb, and they bring their heads back to Gideon. And that one person of the 300 has to kill anybody. God fights the victory for them. All they had to do was to be humble and obedient to him. Humble and obedient to him. Because God is the one who fought. You see, that's the third truth right there. It's God. He is the one who achieves victory. We only serve in humble obedience. God fights. God gets the glory. It's God who chooses the weak to shame the strong. You see, a true victor is someone who serves in humble obedience and allows God to work through him. And when we begin to put this picture together... It becomes clear of who a true victor really is. A couple hundred years after this, and 700 years before Jesus, there lived a prophet named Isaiah and in the Old Testament. And I want you to just listen briefly to what he says. He says, he says about God, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken us on the day of Midian. And a few verses later, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What the prophet Isaiah is saying 700 years before Jesus, he's saying that one day God is going to give them joy. That one day God is going to free them from their oppressors, like on the same day that Midianites were defeated by Gideon. And what he says is, and the one to bring it is going to be a child who is born, man, and a son who is given, the Son of God. You see, that one is someone who will not boast, somebody who is humble and obedient. That one is somebody who has the assurance and the encouragement from his father. And that one is somebody who serves in humble obedience and allows God to work through him. That one is Jesus. That is the true victor. How do we know? Because Jesus removed himself from boasting. You see, he did not count quality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, coming in the form of a servant and a human being, 
and died obedience on the cross. You see, Jesus had the encouragement from his father. Because the night before Jesus died, as he was praying in the garden, he cried out to his father and said, Lord, take this cup away from me, yet not in my will, in yours. And then it says, an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. And it was Jesus who served in humble obedience and allowed God to work through him. Because Jesus' own words says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's Jesus who fills, fulfills each of these perfectly. Gideon never complained about his situation. And he secured victory in a very, very unusual way. And I look at the life of Jesus and I realize Jesus never complained about his situation. Because Jesus was led to like a lamb to slaughter and never opened his mouth at all. And it's Jesus who secures victory in a very unusual way. In a way that we look at as weak. In a way that we look at as foolish. Jesus gave his life and died on a cross the most humbling of all deaths during that time. He was mocked, he was abused, but he went in humble obedience to secure us the ultimate victory, which is the victory over sin and death. And he does it through his death and resurrection. What does that mean for us? I get it, Keith. I hear it all the time. What does that mean for me every day in my life? Because I'm struggling at my job. I'm struggling with the sickness. I'm struggling in my marriage. What does that mean? How do we get victory in the midst of our weakness? Well, the first thing that we do is we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I receive the free gift of salvation. Why? Because when I do, that same Jesus now lives inside of me. That same Jesus is what helps me to be obedient to my Heavenly Father. When we know our weakness, we run faster to Him. You see, a mature Christian is not somebody who says, I don't need God anymore. A true Christian says, no, I need to run to God a lot faster. And I embrace my weakness. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul says. He was like, ah, now I get it. You see, when I'm weak... That's when I'm really strong, because when I'm weak, it removes me and allows God's strength to flow through. So what he says is, I boast in Jesus Christ. I boast in my weakness now, because I realize that's when I'm really strong. I stop trying to do it on my own. For many of us, we struggle, because as long as our lives are going well, I have no reason to depend on him. And why so many people struggle with sickness, with death, is because they have no one to turn to. And they're trying to do it in their own strength. That's why so many people come to Christ when they die, because they realize they're up against an enemy that they can't defeat now. But a Christian is somebody who realizes every area of my life, I need to be weak and I need to give it to him. You know, I realized this in my life one time and I said, oh my goodness, I've been trying to live my life in my own strength and doing everything. And when I finally realized, I embraced my weakness and I allowed his strength to come through in every area of my life. This is a huge kingdom truth. We must be weak. We must be weak. What is in your life right now 
that is challenging you? What can you look at right now and saying, I don't possibly see how I'm going to defeat this. I don't possibly see how I'm going to beat this. Where does God want you to boast in him? Is it your marriage? How about relationships? How about sickness? How about gospel work? Your job? Are you being obedient to him? For those who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, what does this look like for you? It means that I wake up every day and I say, Jesus, I'm starting off today. I'm weak. I need your help today. I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and for many of us, we will never use it. We will never call on the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus is living in me, and I'm still trying to live my life in my own strength. What I've realized is I'm not doing that anymore. Lord, I need you today. Help me. I'm about to go into this meeting. Give me the wisdom in your words, Father, and glorify yourself through me. It means I admit my weakness in every aspect of my life. I'm weak as a father. I'm weak as a pastor. I'm weak as a friend. I'm weak as a family member. Why? I remove myself and let Jesus take over and change me. And I'm obedient in Scripture. I can tell you right now, if you are not reading the Bible at all, you are not hearing from God. He speaks through his word. Even a devotional, five minutes a day, we hear from him. But sometimes as Christians, we will never open it up. We will never use the Holy Spirit and listen to him. For those of you who have not given Jesus or made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and given your life, what that means is that you achieve ultimate victory in your life over sin and death. By placing your faith in something that looks so weak and so foolish. Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, I look back on my life. And I realize my whole life was about getting glory from me. And when God didn't give me glory, I got angry. But I realize now that I was trying to steal his praise. To be like Christ is to be humble. Weakness is very unnatural to us. But weakness is where true victory comes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for speaking to us today, Father. Lord, the world tells us that weakness is not something to to want. That's not how we're called to live. That's exactly what Jesus did. He came, Lord, and he humbled himself and died on a cross. And you've called us too to be like Christ and allow Christ to live for us, Lord. It means that we die to ourselves and we are weak in every area of our life so that you, you and your spirit, Lord, can live through us. Father, I want to lift up in prayer today those who, who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, that you would speak to them, Lord, that they would turn their hearts to you and every day look to you and use the power of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus living in them, Realize and recognize their weakness and call on your strength for everything, Lord. I pray for those today also, Lord, who, who do not know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, that you are offering them a free gift, a free gift which is a relationship with you. You see, as our Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are not leaving us to our own, but you come after us. 
You came after us when you entered our world as Jesus. And my prayer, our prayer today, that they would accept this free gift. And I want to lead those of you today who who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to, to accept and grab hold of that free gift that he's offering. And you can just pray this prayer right there in your seat. And you can pray it to yourself. And just say, dear Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I've lived my whole life apart from you. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Please come into my life. I believe that you died and rose again to forgive me. And I will follow you the rest of my life. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.